please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 21. This is the last message that we are going to have here in the Gospel of John um, as we conclude this Gospel. On Wednesday, we're going to be starting in 1 Samuel. And so next Sunday, we'll be getting a message from 1 Samuel, so you can be start reading ahead with that. Here we are in, in, in 1 John, or in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And for those of you that are familiar with this passage, this is where the Lord is going to ask three questions. Peter is going to give three replies. And then the Lord is going to give Peter three commissions. Now, uniquely what happens is this, that the questions are about love. The answers are about love. And the commissions are about love and action. It sort of just writes itself. Now, as we're looking to this, I simply want to read through the portion of Scripture that we're going to be seeking. And it's found in, in John at chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, for those of you that are aware of this. In verse 15, John makes a statement. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter... Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because in the English, it doesn't really pan out well. In the Greek, there are multiple words for love. In the English, it's just sort of sad. We love everything. I love bacon. I love our little dog. I love my wife, and I love the Lord. I do not love my wife and the Lord like I love bacon. I could do without bacon. Don't want to, but I can. The Lord, not a chance. My wife, I do not want to. And I think it's important to recognize there's different forms of love. In the Greek, there is a term called agape. It's in the root. I'm not going to get into its, its fineness, but the, the root is called agape. And agape means this. It means it's the highest form of love that they would say, but it means to be completely given over to. So this morning when I say the term love and agape, then you'll understand that this is the highest love that the Lord speaks to. Because when it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, it's what? God so agaped the world. He is completely given over to the highest form. Now, there's another term for love, which is phileo, and that means to have a deep affection for. If you've heard of the city of Philadelphia, and, and, and basically it, it's what? It is the city of brotherly love. It's to have deep affection for. So it isn't, it isn't like you're completely given over to, but I, I really have a close affection for you. You can call it like the brotherly love. You know, like, I love you, man, that kind of thing. So it's one of those things where you have a deep affection for. And there's other words in the Greek, and we won't go there now, but I want you to understand that in this passage, it plays off those two words. Because when Jesus comes in verse 15, he says, Simon, do you love me? He says, Simon, do you agape me? And it's important to note that. Are you completely given over to me? And so Simon 
When he says, do you love me more than these? Are you completely given over to me more than these? Then he answered him and said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, you know I phileo you. I, I, I have deep affection for you. Not I agape you, but I, I can't make that statement. I can't stand there in that boast. And then in verse 16, he said to him a second time, son, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love, do you agape me? And then he, Simon Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Isn't that amazing that God says, are you on this line? And Peter says, no, I'm kind of down here, Lord. And then in verse 17, he said to him a third time, and he makes a statement, Simon, son of Jonah, and Jesus now does this. He says, do you phileo me? It's an amazing thing. When we just see love, 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 it's hard to find out. But when Jesus does the third time, he doesn't say, Simon, do you agape me? He says, Simon, do you phileo me? Do you have affection for me? And at that point, we see Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. Not because he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? But the first time he says, do you agape me? The second time, do you agape me? And Peter couldn't go to that level. And now Jesus goes down to Peter's level. And so we can see why Peter here is grieved because he said to him a third time. And not just simply, do you love, but do you phileo me? And so he answered and said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we see the first question. Do you agape me? The first answer, I phileo you. The first commission, I want you to feed my lambs. The second question, do you agape me? The, the second answer, I phileo you. The second commission, tend my sheep. The third question, do you phileo me? Lord, you know all things. As he's grieving, you know that I follow you. And then the third commission is, I want you to feed my sheep. It's important to recognize that these are questions of love, answers of love, and then basically the commissions about love in action. Now, when it comes to the biblical definition of love, you know as well as I, there are two huge passages that make that declaration. The one that we all know so well is the one that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in verse 4 and 5, the Lord speaking through Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that's what we know. Love the Lord your God. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And these are the things that we've become so familiar with. Well, I want to share with you that there in the New Testament, we begin to see that the Lord also defines that. There was a passage in Matthew chapter 22. The verses are 34 through 40, where the Pharisees had heard that he had basically silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together and they send a lawyer to him. And the lawyer was testing him. And the lawyer asks him this question in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. He said, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great one? Which is, which is the great commandment? And Jesus said to him, he quotes from Deuteronomy, and he says this, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amazingly, when Jesus quotes this in the Greek, it is referred to when he says, you shall love the Lord, you shall agape. That's the term. Be completely given over to him. That's a standard that we begin to see. Now, the standard isn't what just only Jesus knows because there's that other passage where in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse um, 25 to 28, this is where this man comes to the Lord and a lawyer stands up and he tests him and he asks him and, and he says, listen, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus goes to this lawyer and he says, hey, well, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? You're asking me, what should I do? And he says, what's the law? What what is your reading of it? And amazingly, this lawyer in verse 27 answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus answered and said, you've answered rightly, do this and live. Now, when that lawyer answered the Lord, he says, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall agape him. And then you shall agape your neighbor as yourself. Agape, completely given over to. And keep in mind that this is a standard over and over. It's a standard that God set for God so loved agape the world. And so we recognize that this is the heart of God. When Jesus was speaking earlier here in the Gospel of John, remember when we were in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus gives them a new commandment. And he makes this statement. Jesus declares this, A new commandment I give to you, that you agape one another as I have agaped you. Love one another as I've loved you. Do you understand? That's a standard that's set. And as the standard is set, we begin to see that that over and over, even in the New Testament, that that where Paul would write to the church of Galatia, the fruit of the Spirit is agape. It's that kind of love. And and we see that when, when Paul would write to the church there in Corinth, and he would try to share with them an understanding about love and about what it is, and, and he says, Agape suffers long and is kind. It's an understanding of what kind of love it is. And so he would go on to to make that statement where he says, this love, this agape bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Agape never fails. It's an amazing thing that we see here, the, the, the heart of what the scripture says is the standard that God sets. Now, within the standard that God sets, keep in mind what's the background. The background of Jesus asking Peter these three questions, do you love me, do you love me, is basically what Peter is going to see as what? Is a reconciliation. There was a point, and you know it well, found in Luke chapter 22. And in Luke 22, this is the background because there was a point where Jesus had said in verse 31, he said, listen, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. 
And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. But he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. This is the instant that the Lord is trying to bring Peter through. Peter has failed. He has denied the Lord, not one time, not two times, but three times, denying the fact that he ever knew him. And now the Lord is going to allow Peter three times to confess, not just that I know you, but that I love you. He gives him a chance three times to make, as he made a public declaration in the denial, now he gets to make three times this public confession here that I not only do I know you, but I love you. And so what the Lord does is this. In that passage of Luke chapter 22, the Lord has said, listen, Satan has asked for you that, that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And he makes this statement that your faith should not fail. I love the fact that he said, I didn't pray for you that you wouldn't deny me. I didn't pray for you that you would be strengthened in that. I didn't pray for you that you wouldn't go through this time of suffering. But I prayed this. I prayed that your faith would not fail. That in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this defeat, in the midst of this failure, that there is going to be a belief. A belief in me. A belief in my character. A belief in my purposes and what I have for you. And so understand that Peter's fall and the cost of what constitutes restoration is, I think, common to all. I understand what it's like to fail. You may understand what it's like to fail. You may know what it is like when you don't step up to the level that God has called you to step up. But what happens is this, that within that failure so often, we come to believe that what? God cannot forgive me. God doesn't love me. There can be no restoration, or if there is restoration, it can't be a full and complete restoration. And what we see here is this, that Peter, as he falls, as he goes through this, Jesus doesn't pray, I'm going to keep you from falling. He doesn't pray, I'm going to keep you from suffering. He says, I'm going to pray that what? That you're going to have this faith so that this failure would still be in the mindset here of Peter, that he would have recognized, Lord, I have failed you. I have not lived up to the point to where I thought I was going to. Remember when Peter, as the Lord had made that declaration that he was going to go and he was going to suffer, Peter made a very unique and powerful statement. The statement is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. I want to read it to you. In verses 31 through 35 of Matthew 26, as Jesus said to him, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Isn't an amazing thing? They may fail, I won't. 
It's sad to be them. They're not on the level of which I am. Though everyone else may fail, everyone else may stumble, and Peter makes this statement, I will never, never be made to stumble. Oh my goodness, pride goes before the fall. And, and a great fall that it was. Well, Jesus said, as surely as I say, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said the disciples. This is where Peter now, once he made that statement, once he came through that denial, Peter recognizes what? Oh my goodness, I have failed so incredibly that in that sin, the scripture says that the, the Peter's sin is so deep and so powerful that he then goes out and he weeps bitterly. He has this, this weeping of repentance. And then, of course, the enemy is going to just plague him. You know how it is. When you fail in that kind of way, when you fail so spectacularly, the enemy says, could this sin be forgiven? I mean, I can forgive other sins, but this one passes the line of forgiveness. This kind of sin I can forgive, and, and even worse than that, but what you've just done, that's beyond forgiveness. Here, Peter has denied his Lord three times, and is this sin too great to be forgiven? Or is this sin so much that God would only allow a partial reconciliation? In other words, Peter, I'll forgive you, but what's going to happen is this. I'm going to demote you to one of the sub-apostles. You won't be an apostle anymore. You're going to be a b-apostle. You're going to be down here. And I love the fact that how the enemy so often brings about the fact that says, you know what, you can be restored but you're going to be demoted. Now, now, those are the two things the enemy does. One, you won't be forgiven at all, or if God does forgive you, you still got consequences. You still got to go through some motions. You got to work yourself back up into my true favor. You have it initially, but now you've blown it, and, and what are you going to do to receive my favor again? And I love what Jesus does. Because Satan would say, can God forgive me? Can God restore me back to the level of leadership? Satan would say, absolutely not. But faith says what? Absolutely. This is Jesus. And I want you to recognize that what's happening is this, that not only is Jesus trying to give Peter this opportunity to make this confession of beyond denying I know you, but now professing that I love you, he's going to give Peter a commission of leadership. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you understand? He tells Peter, you haven't lost the position of leadership because of this sin. You haven't lost the position of favor with me because of your sin. Why? Because it's paid. It's paid. It's just as if you've never sinned. And this is an amazing thing with God's grace. It's an amazing thing of how the enemy wants to accuse. The Lord would allow Peter to take 
this place of leadership once again among the disciples. Now, he already has. He said, I'm going fishing. The sick guy says, we're going fishing with you. That's it. We're out of here. We're going fishing too. But then the Lord says, I'm going to just bring you back to a first truth. We're going to make you fishers of men, and you're going to lead these others into being fishers of men. And I love the fact that, that, that Peter's love and, and his devotion does not have to be better than anyone else's in order to take a place of leadership. Do you understand that when God calls leaders, it's not that, that this is a leader because he loves me more than all of you. That he reads more than all of you. He prays more than all of you. That's not why they're in a position of leadership. Do you understand that? So often we think that it's only because they excel in all the good stuff that God gives them a position up there. I believe, and I truly do believe, that I in my spirit and in my life is, am I am in a remedial class. In other words, God says, listen, Lowell, I can't leave you on your own. I need you to be here in the public's eye. I need you to be there with leadership surrounding you and praying for you because without that, you are a mess. And so he puts me in a position, not because I read more, not because I pray more, not because I'm more godly than anyone else, but because what? God says, I'm going to put you here because I need you to be in a place where all these people are going to come alongside you and encourage you and pray for you and keep you accountable. I love that about the Lord. We do not have these positions because we're better than anyone else. Because look at the questions the Lord asks. Peter, do you agape me? Or am I completely the highest thing in your life? More than all of these. Do you love me more than these? Now, I don't know whether he's pointing to the disciples. Do you love me more than these? As in these guys? Do you love me more than these as is the fish that you have just gotten this great haul and you brought them onto the shore? Do you love me more than these, the fishing boats, the fishing itself? Do you love me more than these? And I love the fact that God doesn't answer what the these are. He doesn't say, do you love me more than disciples? Do you love me more than the fishing itself, the fish? Do you love me more than these? He keeps it purposely generic so that you fill in the blank. Do you love me more than, and fill in a blank. What is the these to you? And I'll tell you what, that Peter has an opportunity to say, listen, Lord, man, you picked the right guy again. Though all of these may not agape you, of course I, oh Lord, there is no way that Peter can look at recent events in his life and say, listen, I have proof that I agape you. Do you understand? Peter actually has to question, do I even have proof that I phileo you? Is there any evidence of any kind of affection? Because I denied you three times. And I think it's so important to recognize here that, that we now begin to see, Lord, I understand what you're doing with Peter. I understand the things that you've done with Peter. Remember in John chapter 13, there was Jesus. And it was just not that long ago that Jesus was there with his disciples and he was washing their feet. 
Now, I love the way that John 13 opens up because in the first verse it says this, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, having agaped them, having loved his own, it says this, he loved them to the end. He agaped them. And in this aspect of love, what Jesus does is after the dinner, he lays aside his garment, takes a towel, girds himself, takes a basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And as he begins to do this, he simply says, listen. As he comes to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter says, Lord, Lord, are you washing my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, said, what I am doing now you do not understand. You're not going to grasp the full ramifications of what I'm doing here. I'm only going to wash your feet. So you don't understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said, you shall never, no, never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, I do not wash you. You have no part with me. So then Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he's only bathing to only wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. I love the fact that here, the Lord is showing Peter, your devotion does not have to be greater than anyone else's. Your ministry does not have to be greater than anyone else's. My love for you, my work, my devotion will put you in a position. Not what you do, not what others want you to do, what I have called you to do. And so I love the fact that not only did his love put him in that position, but his love keeps him in that position. That Peter's incredible failure does not demote him to being a sub-apostle. This is an incredible thing to do recognize because the washing of the feet literally symbolizes what? A restoration of that of which we become defiled, the Lord says it's only a washing of the feet and you can continue in this communion. And I think it's so important that what? We are washed with the water of the word. That you may have failed spectacularly last year. You may have failed spectacularly last month. You may have failed spectacularly last week or even yesterday. And you may think, wow, here I am in church and I am an utter failure. I am a hot mess and I don't deserve the love. In fact, if anything, I deserve a demotion. Just simply write me up, demote me, make me private again. I don't deserve this. And yet God says in his love, don't worry about it. It's already paid for. And so he comes in this heart. He comes in this understanding where he says, listen, I'm going to keep you in communion. Why? I'm just going to wash your feet. Do you understand? You don't have to be washed completely again and again and again. His word has already washed us. The, the, the salvation is already there, the position he's put. But now there's what? There's this constant cleaning that needs to go on. The enemy says, you're too filthy to go on. Jesus says, no, it's only your feet. Let me wash them. The enemy says, no, you are dirty to the core. Jesus says, no, I've already washed the core. Now it's only the feet. The heart is already renewed. The mind is already renewed. This is something that I have done. My spirit is now in there. But there are going to be times walking through the world. You're going to get dirt on your feet. And I'm here to wash it with the word. And I think it's so important that when we see here that 
now comes the understanding of what truly this love of God is. That as we recognize this love, there is faith, there is hope, there is love, and the greatest of these is love. And so the love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, love never fails. Peter will come to an understanding in his first epistle that he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter makes this statement, and above all things have fervent, and he says this, agape for one another. Here's Peter who says, the best I can do to the Lord is phileo, but he tells us have agape. Now, I don't know if there's a double standard, but he says you need to have not just a, a lukewarm agape, but a fervent agape for one another. For, he says this, agape will cover all sins. He understands agape. He understands the love of God. He understands how his sins were covered. And he says this, in the same way as the Lord has taken away my sin, I need to recognize the Lord has taken away your sin. How often do we as Christians, when a brother or a sister falls, do we think you need to be demoted? You are now less of a Christian in my eyes than you were prior to your sin. How often do we do this? How often do we judge one another? How often do we judge them in their sin? I love this scripture. It tells us not to judge. And he says this, to their own master, they will stand or they will fall. But he, Jesus Christ, is able to make them stand. Jesus is going to come and say, listen, to me personally, do, do I agape? Can I make that boast and say, yeah, Lord, there is nothing, nothing in my life that ever comes close to just getting in the way of you in my life. But there are things that pop in. There are things that creep in. And then the enemy says, wow, you have just failed miserably. And the question is, is what happens when that goes to that point? I love the fact that when Jesus loved them in John 13, he loved them to the end. Everything. And so when, 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 when here, back in our text, we understand that Peter and the other six were there in the boat and they were fishing. The Lord had asked them, you know, hey, there guys, have you caught any fish? And they said, no. And then he says, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find. And so they did. And of course, now they, the net is so full, they can't contain anymore. But although it's so full, it's not even breaking. John says, it's the Lord. So Peter puts on his coat. He jumps into the water. And as he jumps in, absolutely amazing. We see what he sees the Lord there on the shore. But not only does he see the Lord, what we recognize in our text is this. In verse 9 of John 21, I want you to notice what Peter sees. The other, John makes a statement of it. But as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. A fire of coals. In the Greek, this word is only used twice, only twice in all the Bible. It is used here in John 21. And the other place it is used is in John 18, verse 18. Let me read it to you. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals, and there it was, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. 
There's only two times, two times this word is used in all the New Testament, both with Peter. Peter witnesses both. There's a fire of coals here where he what? He denies the Lord three times. And now a fire of coals where he can confess the Lord three times. This is amazing when when I look to this because the enemy wants to use this fire of coals to what? Condemn him. Can you imagine every time that you would see that fire of coals, you would remember, oh, that's the one that I warned myself. That's the one that I denied. Every time I see this, the enemy points out that exactness, it becomes a condemnation. How many times does the enemy do that to you where the, the, the sin becomes a condemnation? A reminder of that sin becomes a condemnation or, or at least this point where I should be demoted. And when Jesus does this, he changes it completely because now the fire of coals isn't just a fire of coals. When he comes to this fire of coals, he sees what? He sees food on it. He sees fish. He sees bread that is baked. And all of a sudden, there's this fire of coals that Jesus says, I'm going to use this image as restoration to you, where the enemy says, I want to use that image as a condemnation of you. Do you realize that when the enemy points out your sins, you can say that it is a condemnation because the enemy says, this sin is in you, but if you by faith Go to scripture and says, no, that faith is not, that sin is not in me. The handwriting of the requirement that was against me, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. See, when the enemy says, this sin is in you and you need to pay, That by faith you can say, oh no, this sin was taken away and put on the cross and it was paid in full. So where the enemy wants to say, look at this sin and it's in you. And you can say, look at this sin, it's on the cross and it's paid. Do you understand how one symbolizes a condemnation, one symbolizes a restoration? And I love the fact that God says, look at your sin. Look at your sin, but look at where it is. It's there on the cross, and and it's there in my son, and he has paid it in full. And I think it's so amazing that where where before this fire of coals in, in John 18, Peter would publicly deny his Lord three times, and now before this fire of coals, the only two times this word is used in the New Testament, it is now brings a blessing of food to hungry disciples. It's a ministry now. And 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 Jesus so wonderfully allows Peter to confess him these three times. Now, when he does the confession, I want you to note something, and don't don't just read it and just kind of overlook it, but when you look at as far as how Scripture teaches it, it should mean something important. In verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, after they had partaken of what was there on that fire of coals, they are fulfilled and refreshed because of that fire of coals. It becomes a ministry, not a condemnation. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. This is an important term. This term is used twice in the New Testament. The first time is, of course, when when Jesus meets with with Peter and and he begins to call Peter to himself. Now, in the calling of Peter, there at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we begin to see this. 
I'm going to read from John chapter 1, and then I'm going to read from verses um, 41 through 42. Andrew, he finds his brother Peter. And he first found his own brother Simon in verse 41. And he said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he, Andrew, brought him Peter to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are, you are Simon, son of Jonah. He said, this is who you are. You're Simon, son of Jonah. And you shall be called Cephas. You shall be called Peter, which is translated stone. Now, now, basically, you're, 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 you're shifting sand, but I'm going to make you a stone. I'm going to make you solid. I'm going to make you anchored in. And I think it's so important to recognize here that this is what the Lord does. He makes a statement. He says, do you remember when I called you? When I called you before I even gave you the name of Peter, you were Simon, son of Jonah. And guess what he calls him again? I'm taking you back to the beginning. You're now Simon, son of Jonah again. In other words, everything that you've ever done has been erased. Let's go back to the beginning and let's figure out where we are. There's another passage that is absolutely incredible where he uses that term, Simon, son of Jonah. And, and what he does is this. In, in this term, where in, in Matthew chapter 16, we begin to see that the Lord in, in speaking through um, or, or speaking to the disciples makes this declaration. In Matthew 16, beginning in verse 15, and I'm going to read down to verse 18, it makes this declaration. People have been wondering who Jesus is, and Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And it says this, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjonah. He said, blessed are you in, in, in the childlike faith, in the beginning of your understanding. Blessed are you. He says this, because flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There, there's two options to why he calls him Simon Barjona. Either he's saying, you're back to the beginning, or he's going to remind him of the confession that he had made. Now, now, in the confession that he made is what? You're the Christ. You are the Christ. And then afterwards was the denial what? I don't even know him. Now, isn't this amazing? Because the, the question is, is, which do you believe? Do you believe it when the Spirit inspires you and you make a declaration or when the enemy comes upon you and causes you to stumble? Understand, you got the Spirit of God, you got the enemy. Who are you going to believe? See, the enemy says, you can only believe me. You can't believe the words the Spirit gave you. You can't believe that was your life. You can't believe that God would give you some kind of kudos for that. But he will condemn you for this. Understand, God doesn't reward you for a righteousness because all of our righteousness is filthy rags. He rewards us when he gives us his righteousness and we walk with him. And when we walk with him and he leads us, he says, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I love the fact that here, one of two options, because this is absolutely incredible, because if, if Peter is now drawn back to his declaration versus what? Versus, well, if everyone is made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. I, I love the fact where he says, listen, look at this confession. Not just do you know me, but do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And if it's the men, he has to come back with, listen, 
If all are made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. He's already stumbled in the worst way. And, and so are you above these men in your deeds and devotion? How many times have we as Christians tried to compete in that way? Well, I'm better than them in prayer. I read my Bible more than this person. I am here and they are there. In other words, we pray like the Pharisees. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that brother or that sister. I thank you that I'm so much better in my walk than those that should be demoted. They're demoted in my eyes. Of course, they should be demoted in yours. And I think it's important how when these times come, Peter is reminded, listen, I've stumbled in the worst ways. Do you know what Peter is doing? He's not looking at the speck in his brother's eyes anymore. If all were to be made to stumble, I would never. Not only would you be made to stumble, now the, the plank in your own eyes, you've denied the Lord three times. But guess what? His love conquers that. Love covers all sin. Peter recognizes this truth. And it's so important where at one point you may have thought yourself above these other men in your devotion and your deeds. And you may have thought, listen, fishing is it. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to what I know. And remember what Jesus has said. Listen, when he called them away, he said, listen, you were fishers of fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I called you away from this. I called you to a position and the enemy cannot tell you that you do not have this position anymore. You're not demoted. You're not forsaken. And I think it's so amazing how we begin to see the Lord ask Peter the first question, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you fill in that blank? And, and so when, when he says, do you agape me? Peter comes to this point and says, listen, Lord, to be honest with you, not, Lord, you know I want to, nor, nor, Lord, you know if, but he says this, Lord, you know, you know, you know that I love you. I find it amazing that here Peter is recognizing when God says, do you agape me? Peter says, you know I phileo you. Peter is making the statement, you know that I do not love you as I ought to love you as you would have asked me to love you. But this is the best my weakness can offer. Isn't that amazing? That God doesn't want you to be better than anyone else. He doesn't even want you to be better than you. He just wants, and this is important for you to recognize this, jot this down if you, if you really want to understand where we are. He just wants the best that our weakness can offer. The best I can offer him is what? His weakness. And his strength is made perfect in my weakness. When I think I have something to offer, he just back, go for it, Lowell. Go for it. But then I realize what? That without him, I can do nothing. But with him, when he wants it done, and I just hold on to his hand, he walks me through the ministry, then it's his glory. It's his power. And then I recognize, Lord, this has only been you. It hasn't been me. And I love the fact that only he gets the credit and I don't. But my credit is what? I was holding your hand. Lord, we did this together. I know you did all the heavy lifting, but I was with you. And he says, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. This is what I want. And I love the fact that, that, that Peter, when God says, do you agape me? And he says, I fillet you. It is a confession. I do not love you as I ought to. 
When you says what? What's the great commandment? Love, agape the Lord. A new commandment. Agape people as I've agaped you. You understand agape is the key. Agape is the thing. Be completely given over to and I, I can't love like that. I can't love with this agape. I can't do this in my, this is the best my weakness can offer you, Lord, is a phileo. I can be affectionate. And, and I love the fact that Jesus accepts this declaration. Note this. He accepts this declaration. He accepts Peter and he blesses Peter and he appoints Peter back to what? Leadership in these three commissions. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is so important. It's not just feed the lambs or feed your lambs. It's feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's all about me. These are mine, and you're going to be my steward. You're going to be my servant. You're going to be mine. And what you're going to do is this. You're not going to do it in your power. You're not going to do it in your strength. You're going to do it in your weakness, and I'm going to become strength in that weakness. This is the Lord, and this is how he works. And I think it's so important that as he now comes to this point of three times, the Lord says, one, do you agape me? Peter says, I don't love you as I ought. I don't love you as I should. Then Peter said, the Lord says, do you agape me a second time? After he says, okay, then, then, then feed my lambs. Minister to the babies. Give them my word. And then the second time he says, do you agape me? He says, Lord, I phileo you. You know I phileo you. And he says, what? Tend my lambs. Serve them. Minister to them. Shepherd them. And I love the fact that, that that's the, the, the heart where the, the same term when he says, tend my sheep, where he, he said of the Lord, he says in, in Matthew 2, 6, out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, shepherd them, lead them, guide them, draw them what? Back to me, the great shepherd. Draw them to my love, to my forgiveness, to my work on the cross. Not, not what you think they should be. And I love the fact that Peter now says what? Don't let your thoughts of where they should be demoted because of their sin, because of this failure and that failure, that you are less of a Christian than what Jesus has made you. When you recognize what he has done, now it comes to the point where he says, listen, when Jesus the third time comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you phileo me? He says, my standard is wherever you can be in your weakness. That's my standard. It's not, not what you think it needs to be, but understand wherever your weakness will allow you to be, and I become the strength in that, what God can do with phileo. See, we think that only when you're completely given over to God can you do all these things for the Lord. And God says, I can allow, even in the phileo, to have you become the, 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 the feeder of my lambs, the tender of my sheep, and the feeders of my sheep. I can use any weakness, but you've got to be honest with that weakness and say, this is the best my weakness can offer. And God says, I can use that. Because my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And then we come to communion. We come to communion. And the question that communion so often, when we look at the bread and we look at the cup, and, and you look to the sins, and you say, is, do I have a sin that is so great that it is, cannot be forgiven? Same thing the enemy was trying to do with Peter. 
Is my sin so great that it cannot be forgiven? Could this sin allow me only a partial restoration? Does God have to demote me? Does does God say, I can forgive you, but I can't give you a place in my kingdom. I can't use you. I love the fact that here God says, not only do I forgive you, and yes, know this, know this, know this. I have commissioned you, and I will use you, but I'll use you in a place that is so far above what the enemy says. The enemy says you cannot be forgiven. The faith says you can. And it's so important to recognize this because what communion is telling me is what? I've been washed in the blood. That what he's doing is this. He's already done the work. Remember, he says, take of the bread and eat. And, and, and you do this in remembrance of me. Recognize that you take of the bread. And then afterwards, he then what? He takes the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Communion is not in remembrance of your sin. Communion is in remembrance of him. And it becomes not a table of condemnation. It becomes a table of celebration. Peter Peter initially is weeping because what? Man, Lord, you've come down to my level. He's grieving because he cannot be up there. And I love the fact that God so loves him. He says, I'm going to give you the highest commission that I can. Feed my sheep. Feed them. You become the shepherd of them and you lead them and you shepherd them and you feed them. Tell them of me. Tell them of my grace. Tell them of my work. And this is so important to recognize because this washing isn't just a symbol. It's a restoration. It's a restoration of what has been defiled Now God says, listen, I'm going to bring you into the sweetest of communion. This is what it is. When, he, when we take communion, he says, I want to come into you and be a part of you. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, take the cup first, let me cleanse you of your sin, then take the bread and I'll come into you. He says very simply, take of the bread. I want to come into you just like you are. I love you just like you are. You are perfect because all the handwriting of the requirement, the condemnation that was against you, I've taken it out of the way. I've nailed it to the cross. But what is left is this. What is left is you in your weakness. And I want to come into that real you. And then when I'm in you, then the blood comes. Then I will cleanse you. I will. It's called sanctification. He loves you enough to come in just as you are. But then when he's in you, he begins to sanctify. He begins to restore. We have to understand that what communion tells you and tells me is our sin is forgiven. Satan wants you to remember your sins. He wants you to look at the sin. Look at the sin in you. Look at the sin in you. And God says, look at your sin on the cross and realize it's been paid for. Look at your sin there and recognize it's been paid in full. In the same way as the enemy would want to use that symbol of the the, the coals and the fire of coals as a condemnation of Peter, Jesus now uses it as, look at this restoration. Look at this as far as my love. Look at this as who I am. And I think it's so important where, where the enemy wants to condemn, Jesus wants to use it to restore. He says, look at your sin on the cross 
and recognize it's been paid for. And now come boldly into my love. Come into my grace. And so what, what the enemy means for evil, God turns it around and uses it for good. May we be these people who come and understand fully to understand what the restoration is. Why it's so important to just not always read in the English, but to know what God is declaring to Peter and to recognize that this passage is one of the most profound passages of love in all the scripture. And John uses it to close his gospel. Three questions. Do you love me? Three answers about, yes, I love you and the degree. And then Jesus gives him the commissions. Then this is how you act out the love. So know this. If you have been forgiven, if you come to the table and you recognize my sin is forgiven, then the Lord is going to say, then let me come into you. Let me wash you. And then I'm going to lead you by my spirit on how you can respond what you will do in the actions of declaring your love. May we be those who say, Lord, thank you for allowing what the enemy means for evil, what the enemy wants to use to condemn, that you've shown us that it's not condemnation, but it's full restoration. You'll use us and you'll love us and we can become a part of what you want to do for your kingdom. May that be our hearts. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the grace and, and Lord, just how you work these things through. We're asking, Lord, that now as we come to this point of communion, that you would knit us to your heart. That as we come into this point of communion, that we would be those who come to celebrate you. That we would recognize your heart. We would recognize this work. That we know that when you had given thanks, you simply would make this statement, take eat this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Make me the focal point. Make my work, my, 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 my body, my broken body on the cross, make that your focal point. Do this in remembrance of me. And then you would take the cup. And you would say, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is not, not the covenant of the law. This is the covenant of grace. This is the covenant of restoration, full and complete so when we sin, we will not be demoted. We will not be lessened. But, but you and your grace, you keep us where we are. I love the fact that when David sinned, so great a sin, you didn't remove him from being king. You kept him in that place. He had consequences. Yes, what you sow, you shall reap. The truth is there in your word. But there was still power. No, no, not, not because of, of his, but he recognized it was now yours. It was your kingdom, not, not his. And it was yours to give to whom he wanted, not his to take, not his to give away. And we recognize this is where we are. We are yours, not our own. We've been bought with a price. And we want to worship you and glorify you. So in this new covenant of your blood, we recognize what? That we are forgiven. And we do this. We take this in remembrance of you. That your blood was shed so that those sins that we see in you, those sins that we see on the cross are paid for. They are completely paid in full. And no longer can the enemy use those sins as condemnation, but you will use that to say, you have been restored. My love covered this sin. It's paid for and it's dealt with. It is done. It is finished. 
And so as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim your victory till you come. That's what this is. It's a table declaring your victory, your victory over our sin, your victory over us judging one another's sin. Because in the same way as we see our sin upon the cross, we see others. You've paid for their sin as well. Father, forgive us when we demote brothers and sisters because we see sin and we see failure. Because we see that it doesn't line up to our understanding of what righteousness is. May we recognize, Lord, that that we do not have to judge the specks in our brother's eyes because you are dealing with the planks that are in our own. Help us to love. Help us to love fervently. Help us to be completely given over to fervently, as Peter would teach us as an epistle. Love one another fervently. Because this love, this agape, covers all sin. It covers, you've covered us, and we want to recognize your sin covers others. So let us come into this table and celebrate you. Knit our hearts to you, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.